0: Hello, and welcome to Verge ESP, a podcast about art and science on The Verge. My name is Emily Yoshida. I am the entertainment editor at The Verge. I'm Liz Lopato. I'm the science editor at The Verge. And it's been three weeks now, uh, three weeks of just rousing Game of Thrones action. And Liz and I have not said a single word on this podcast about this television show that we both watch. Like one of our actual... um, intersections where we are paying attention to the same thing every week. Um, but I mean, I, I my experience of 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 watching Game of Thrones so far has been very much dictated by this year's Game of Game of Thrones. So I feel like I probably have a skewed view on how exciting it is. But I, don't, I, I tell me, I just want to hear your thoughts. We haven't really talked too much about this outside of the podcast even. OK, so I'm, I'm just I'm 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 sorry I'm about to be a hater. Oh no. I know, it's terrible. A hater? Talking about Game of Thrones? Can you believe it?
1: Uh, It's doing the thing that it does every season where there's just a ton of exposition for like three or four episodes before things start to pop off. And so I'm like, okay, I'll eat my vegetables, but there better Mm -hmm. be dessert after this, you know, is kind of the mode I'm in. And like particularly with the backstory that we're getting from the tree. Yeah, the old man in the tree. So I have a theory about this, and uh, if you don't want to be spoiled by my theory, which may not even be right because I have not
0: read the books. But I think I know what your theory is, and I think it is actually the predominant theory. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the spoilers start here.
1: My theory is basically that we're about to discover that Jon Snow is actually a Targaryen and that he's not Ned Stark's kid, but Ned Stark's sister's kid.
0: Yep. And yep.
1: uh, I we're, we're getting this in the laziest way possible via flashback. And I hate flashback as a narrative device and let me tell you why. Okay. Um, it stops your forward action and it basically backfills motivation and that's all it does. So you're slowing down uh, the progress of the plot in order to backfill motivation and fill in information that you could probably fill in through dialogue elsewhere. Like per- particularly if there were like I don't know, a convenient old bannerman of Ned Stark's who could, like, show up somewhere, perhaps at the wall, and uh, be like, oh, did you ever find out what happened to, uh, what's her name, Leanna? Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to Leanna's kid? Dun-dun-dun!
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, eh, I, you know, the, the, the easy way to do this is and the person who would actually deliver this information is dead, but the classic way to do this without flashback is, Luke, I am your father. Like, you know, and, and, and it's, it's delivered in a dramatic enough way that uh, you can react, you know, the character reacts to it, they are reacting to something like an exchange, a real, real time thing. I mean, the thing, the thing that's, um, I think that's going to be unsatisfying about that if and when it gets revealed is that uh, the person who's learning it is not Jon Snow. Um, Oh, God. And then we're going to have to deal with
1: knowing more than him, which we do most of the time anyway. And he's an idiot. Can I just be real about this? I think Jon Snow's an idiot and I would have been happier if he stayed dead.
0: (laughs) I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I I was a little I was not as thrilled by the whole him coming back to life thing that it just didn't. I think I just knew it was coming so much that I was I was I was actually looking forward to being surprised and having him. A, not come back at all, or B, come back as a uh, White Walker and, like, be the new Night's King or whatever. That would be cool. Yeah. Like, ice zombie Jon Snow that doesn't talk. Yes. And just has a perpetually frozen, furrowed brow. I would be more into as just a figure in the story. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the other thing is that, like, even though we are past the books now in many ways, yeah. Um, People will still come in with information that they have from reading the books and wonder why, perhaps if you're in the position of being a Game of Thrones recapper, wonder why you haven't picked up on the fact that, like, now he's supposed to be this character or because he got brought back to life, he's this prophesied person. None of that was in the show. I don't read the books. I read other books that are not Game of Thrones. Me too. I'm bragging. (laughs) 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 I read other things. Uh, but, you know, I'm I, I I'm really into judging this. You know, I, I, I steal this line from my former, uh, former co-worker at Grantland and also Game of Thrones chronicler Andy Greenwald. You know, he just, he watches it as a show. He likes TV. I like TV, too. I think it's a good TV show. It works as a TV show for me. I like to learn more about the world, but I don't, um, you know, I don't feel cheated out of information because I haven't, been reading the books and frankly things have as I understand it changed enough from the books that you're actually just dealing with
1: a a similar universe but with a slightly different story right like I mean that happens a lot when you adapt from from books to anything else and sometimes it really helps the story because you like create something that's better for the medium um and sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't but you know I I I have never particularly had problems with things not being true to their source material when they're working in a different medium, just because, you know, what works in one medium is different than what works in another.
0: Yeah, actually, I was talking with our film critic, Tasha Robinson, about uh, the idea of things being unfilmable, which, you know, gets you to the subject of things existing separately as books or whatever the original source material was, and movies and being able to appreciate them as different things or TV shows as is the case maybe. And you know, they they become separate. Like they don't necessarily need to be in conversation with each other or sync up perfectly. And I'm 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 personally okay with that. But um, you know, I think that genre stuff like this encourages a lot of deep, deep diving and nitpicking and backstory stuff. So, you know, and we're kind of getting to that part of the story itself. So it's yeah, I, I, I I'm 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 ready for it to to move on at this point. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, and also just just one more thing before we move on. Also, I am
0: ready for something
1: interesting to happen to Daenerys.
0: Oh my god, or <laughs> her to have like a really weird sudden number up to come up in. Like, I think that would be interesting too. Uh, By which I mean, she would die. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I w- I want to be surprised. You know, I I do. uh, but the sh- her storyline last year wasn't that great, and it wasn't that great. It's, it's So far, it's pretty boring this year. So do something, Khaleesi, do something. But moving on to, uh, to some bad news coming out of the museum world. Yeah. So you might remember that we, we actually talked about this a little bit
1: back in February, but there is a sexual harassment case at the American Museum of Natural History. And it involves a anthropologist named Brian Richmond. Well, the the, invest, the third investigation of Richmond uh, is still ongoing and has been ongoing for quite some time. It's pretty expensive and. <sighs> okay. <laughs> One of the things about this that I have been very curious about since I read the initial report, and I asked the museum about this actually when I did my reporting, um, was if there had been another incident that had triggered the third investigation, or mm-hmm. if they were doing the third investigation on the same facts as the second investigation, but this time paying an outside investigator. Uh-huh. Because to me, what, what feels particularly unfair from from the point of view of Brian Richmond is to be investigated multiple times you know with the same evidence just with different investigators right it's like i don't know if if that means that the second investigation wasn't good enough for any of a variety of reasons i don't know if it's because he's they're they're trying to pressure him to leave i don't know what's going on but it's there's something funky going on about the fact that he's being investigated all of these times and nothing seems to happen right like conclude it one way or the other you know like Either, the, either you think the guy didn't do this um, and doesn't deserve punishment or you think that he did and he does. You know, mm-hmm. like there's not like this like perpetual investigation land he can live in. And like he's basically a pariah right now in the anthropology community. We have a story on our site about it uh, that's written by the person who originally broke um the the Richmond News, a guy named Michael Balter, who was writing for science when he broke the story. And he sort of goes through, you know, what has happened here and the fact that all of these people, the accuser, the accused, of the variety of other people who came forward to give testimony are basically just sort of in limbo. Right.
0: Indefinitely. In the the unlikely, I don't know how, I haven't looked at this closely enough to really be able to say either way, but in the, the case where he didn't do it or didn't do anything, this is like also very like the system is not serving him well, you know, it's the system isn't serving anyone well. The system is serving neither the victims nor the accused uh, in either case. And
1: like the other piece of it, too. Right. Is that so the budgets from the outside investigation come out of the museum's regular operating budget Uh, and uh, they have a bunch of sources of revenue, including, um, you know, research grants, investment income. But most of its uh, income comes from ticket sales, visitor donations, and museum memberships.
0: So um, so are you saying they're hiring the discount investigators just to, to cut costs a little bit? I'm,
1: I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the public is footing a bill for a reinvestigation of this guy. Like, that's where that money is coming from. <laughs> it's coming from the city yeah. of New York. It's coming from ticket sales. It's coming from donations. And I don't know that that's a good use of that money. Right. You know, having one investigation that you then make a decision, I understand. Having two and like, okay, well, that, that I kind of understand. But having three seems like a lot. And it seems like there's something funky happening where like what's going on is not that the American Museum of Natural History is trying to protect its employees, but rather that it's trying to protect itself as an institution. Right,
0: yeah. Well um uh l- l- maybe we can move over to to an an institution that is not being very well protected either which is um the soft drink uh industry. <laughs> um. so, <laughs> Tell me about this um, one. Okay. <laughs> I, I went, I fell
1: down a Twitter rabbit hole yesterday with Ariel and an editor from Nature Magazine because I saw something in the Austin Statesman about a little boy who had found a, a dead rodent in his can of Dr. Pepper. Um, <laughs> oh, no, sorry. It was a bottle and the three-year-old had ingested half of it. Oh, my God. So I was like, this has got to be a hoax. There's no way this is not a hoax, this is a hoax, right? And at first it looked like yes, because um, in a previous investigation of a rodent found in a soda container, Pepsi executives had testified that the rodent would have liquefied uh, uh, before anybody could drink it.
0: Oh no! Wait, what does that say about Pepsi? <laughs> <laughs> Upsetting things, I think. <laughs>
1: oh my god! Uh, but then we went further down the rabbit hole, and the whole thing seems to be unclear. So, if you have any inside information on rodents and soda, and please let me know I about it. I feel
0: like everything. Like I feel like any every every kid at some point. Is aware of some kind of maybe urban myth, but also probably true thing that happened with somebody having something disgusting and either a fast food item or a or a snack food. It was maggots in the chili at Wendy's at my school. That was like a huge scandal. Um, oh, wow. The, and the uh, the local Wendy's actually like pulled their ads from our school newspaper because we reported on it. <laughs> Oh my God! You've been muckracking for a long time. Uh-huh. I mean, I was not. Uh, I was on staff. We we made an editorial decision that we would risk our partnership with Wendy's uh, on first half to <laughs> the first half Wendy's <laughs> oh in order God. to uh, yeah stay true to our journalistic ethics. So, uh. well, so the the first one that we could find was
1: in October 1994, and that's when the FDA said that they had found a rotting rat inside a diet Pepsi can in Orange County. Oy, oy, oy. Um, And my favorite part of this is the quote, which I'm just going to read to you verbatim. We did find the rat in the can. It
0: was in pieces, but it was there. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, um, let's, let's just move on from this. I feel like... I feel like I don't need to hear any more about this. <laughs> anyway, everything is disgusting. Have a nice day. yeah. Don't never drink a soft drink if you you know they're already bad for you. But never drink a soft drink again. Uh, I mean, I, I guess a soda, a soft drink. I, I yeah, the orange juice is a soft drink. That's fine. Drink some orange juice. Okay, well, um, so the next thing I want to talk about is
1: not as fun as rats and soda. It's genetics, and I am about to get super wonky with you. So the headlines you may have seen earlier this week are about you know genetic variants that are linked to education levels, and the first thing I want you to know is that that impact is tiny. It is tiny. Uh huh. Um, you know, I mean, it, it it it's there. There is a link, but it the 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 amount that they explain is far less than you know personal income right uh, what neighborhood you live in um, the environment all of those things matter a lot more for school than these these genetic links and I see a lot of these studies you know another one that we wrote about recently, I guess this would be about a month ago are genetic influences on the first time you have sex mm-hmm. and like I feel like there's, like, this idea that people have
0: that genetics are determination. The secret code to the universe that we can solve it all with genetics? Yeah,
1: like, that you know everything about a person as soon as you know their genetics. And, like, the first thing I want to be super clear with you about is that they're a probability field, okay? Uh Uh-huh. So, like, certain things will absolutely give you, like, for instance, a genetic disease. But other things will just say, well, you have a 70% greater likelihood of a genetic disease which is not a guarantee, right? right? Like the cancer, the cancer, um, cancer-linked genes often work in that way, where you like have a two or three times higher risk, yeah. But that doesn't guarantee you're gonna get sick, right? So you know, it's already confusing in medicine. <laughs>
0: Well, I, but I'm we kind s- of confused as to why why you would try to find a link to like link genetics to education level. Anyway, I feel like education level is becoming such a, a like a less and less relevant data point in a person's life. Like it's so determined on other things like income and just like socioeconomic factors. Like why. It, 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 like, why would genetics be the the cause of how much you end up, like, what degree you end up getting?
1: You know what, Emily? There are actual researchers that we talk to that agree with you. <laughs> like, they didn't think the study should have been a
0: dot at right. all. And it was a waste of resources. It seems, um, like a, it seems like a really stupid line of inquiry, but I'm not a scientist, so I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, I think sometimes what's going
1: on is that folks are looking for something sexy to catch headlines with. Um, when they look at, at genes, uh, because the, the field is really crowded. And so you find people doing things like, you know, the first time you have sex or. Uh, Literally sexy <laughs>
0: genetics, yeah.
1: That's right, baby. And it does catch headlines and people do write about it, including us. But it's not really all that useful. And they'll say, well, you know, we just wanted to like delineate, you know, the relationship between the genetics and the environment. And it's like, well, this is, so, this is the impact here is so tiny. Yeah. And also your population is all white. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So I don't really know how useful or relevant this is aside from, like, getting you some headlines and maybe getting you your next research grant. I
0: feel like, though, I feel like trying to track down a sexy story in genetics or, like, a sensational story or a controversial story in genetics just kind of means you're going to start going down a, like, slippery slope to social Darwinism. Like, I I don't know. I feel like this thing of like oh yeah there are some people who will just you know are destined to be smarter and get better jobs just like you know have fun arguing that one out like I, I well and one of
1: the things that we already know is that only like your genetics only contribute about 50% to your ultimate intelligence mm-hmm. and the rest is environment. Yeah. So you could have the best genes in the world, but if you're born in a place where, you know, there isn't food security, so you don't necessarily get fed all the time, and like maybe there's lead paint and like, you know, all of these other things, it doesn't matter how good your genes are. Yeah. It just doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, um man. So it's it's, you know, and the reason I bring this up and the reason why we write these stories Is because we do tend to have a skeptical take like if you look at what we have on the site We have people questioning the utility of this study. We have people talking about like What is actually important in terms of educational attainment and what really does influence educational attainment? And like what frustrates me is I and the reason why we write these is because I see a lot of news outlets that just sort of Don't do that at all and just sort of give you the headline of oh my god Your genes are going to tell you whether or not you finish high school And I just want to be a countering force to that. (laughs) Uh, So that people who read our stories aren't actively being made stupider. And like maybe when they see that other headline, they're like, wait, didn't I just read about this? Yeah, yeah. It frustrates me. It's one of those things where like, we always like want to latch on to something very basic and very biological to explain why we are the way we are. Instead of going either we have no idea or it's the environment. And like, this is just sort of a tension that I see a lot of, and I don't know what to do, do about it. Do you think, like... You know what I mean? Do,
0: I, it almost feels sometimes like more general interest publications use science and use use their science sections and use headlines like those. It's like... Well we don't just have a bait? we don't well, not not even that easily, like we don't have a horoscope section, so we might as well have like another thing that feels like magic like almost <laughs> oh <my> like, <laughs> like like <laughs> that
1: would explain a lot. um, I mean, I see especially with local news segments, I just see stuff that's really misleading that like you're putting on the news yeah. as though it's real, it's like the Doctor Oz thing, too, it's like yeah, yeah. yeah. and like. No wonder people are confused. Right. <laughs> right? Because, like, they're being told by people who are in, you know, positions of whatever relative authority. I mean, like, I wouldn't... No offense to anybody who works in local news who might be listening to this, but I wouldn't say that, you know, the person who's doing the science segment on the local news is necessarily the be-all and end-all in terms of authority, but certainly an authority figure.
0: They're, they're reading they're reading copy. They're reading good copy. Um, right. And so, the, you know,
1: what winds up happening is that you get, a, like, a, a bunch of garbage. Yeah. And just a bunch of gar- garbage. And I'm, I'm not the only one who noticed this. I think there was a big segment on the John Oliver show about it this oh, really? weekend. Yeah. I saw it, like... If you want to know how many science journalists you're following you can tell because it showed how by how often it showed up in your feed. Yeah, yeah, you know Um, And it's like stuff that we've been saying For five for ten years now about how to think about good science reporting and how to be skeptical and, and and evaluate what you're doing And one of the reasons I think there's also more bad science reporting, in part because the science desk is usually the first place that gets fired when the newspaper undergoes cuts. And so you have people who don't actually quite know what they're doing trying to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's part of it. But I think part of it, too, is speed. It's a lot easier to write off a press release than read the actual study. It's a lot easier to write off a press release than call actual sources. And if you're working at a content farm, uh, that's what you do. You read the press release, you repackage the press release, you hit publish, you move on to the next thing. And well, and you you're also a lot of
0: people aren't just trained to you know hear that a, a report comes out and to a lot of lay people, you know, myself included probably before I started working here, like, "Oh, study says" oh, that must mean it's pretty much true. Like, you know, it, it, like it, science said that this happened. So it is true. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe there's less questioning or they there's not it doesn't occur to people to question as much. I don't know.
1: I mean, it does occur to them to question it. It's just that they don't think about the right way to question it, I think, right. because people definitely question climate change stuff. And that's pretty well established, yeah. you know. Um, so one of the things that I like to do when I write about studies is I like to give people a history of the previous studies and what studies can be done in the future. Because usually what happens, the way that we build up scientific knowledge is not, you know, any individual study can be wrong, but the aggregate usually isn't. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you build up over a period of time by having multiple people in different labs repeatedly test the same hypothesis. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that's basically how that knowledge accumulates. And um, it's why you often see contradictory studies, because people are trying to disprove each other so they can get some glory. Yeah. So figuring out what's going on can be a little bit tricky, but it's helpful to keep in mind that no one individual study is going to be the last word.
0: Right. Right. Well, um, if, if, if we're speaking about never ending sagas, um, <laughs> can we talk about the Marvel movie that came out this last week? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes
1: yes we can
0: although I have to warn you I haven't seen it it's okay um, you know it's not It's. I feel like I'm usually the person who hasn't seen these movies I have I, I guessed it on my friend's podcast this last week I think it'll be going up um, this coming Monday but I feel like whenever the conversation turns towards superhero movies I'm always on, like you know I don't see them I don't like automatically go see them unless there's a if I can see it for free and early, then I will. I, I, but I didn't, you know, I missed on the Batman Superman uh, screening, so I you know, and I'm never gonna pay for that. So I guess I just missed the boat on that. but uh, i I did see Captain America Civil War. In fact, I think I have seen. I didn't see the first Captain America but I saw Captain America Winter Soldier and I saw I saw whatever the last Avengers movie was I don't know this is not interesting anyway this new movie is called Captain America Civil War but it's pretty much an Avengers movie that a lot of the characters are in it and I wanted to talk about it not because I care deeply about the Marvel Cinematic Universe although it is popular people love it people can't get enough of it, apparently. But I just wanted to talk about superheroes in general and what they're metaphors for, because... I, so the plot of Cap- Captain America Civil War is that after all of these devastating battles that we have seen in the Marvel movies where entire cities get leveled and, and villages are destroyed and, and whatnot, the, the U.S. government wants to have a, a put in a regulation policy on Avengers, on superheroes, so that they must report to the government, work in tandem with the government and the military. And there's a system of checks and balances so that, that they can't go out avenging without um an okay, from seems reasonable. Sure, I mean, am I crazy? That seems reasonable. It's reasonable, so you know who would agree with you, uh, uh, Tony Stark a.k.a. Uh, <laughs> Iron, Man, Iron Man, a.k.a. Robert Downey Jr., a.k.a. my fanfic me. husband. Um, Zero, that I agree with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, well, he's feeling a little guilty because he, you know, he was an arms dealer. I guess he, no, he's, he doesn't own his company anymore, but he did, you know, contribute to a lot of mass destruction, so he always has, like, that's his deal, that's his, his angst is the, is the... Uh, the fact that he has was responsible for a, a, a death and destruction across the world, so he's 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 anti or he's pro it. And Captain America, Steve Rogers. I always almost forget that name because it's so like bleh, bleh, Steve Rogers. Let's just call him Chris Evans
1: because that's Chris a better Evans, name and also just as
0: generic. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> they could have just <laughs> named him Chris Evans. It would have been fine. Um, he is anti it because he believes that if he wants to do the right thing, he should be able to do it without without um, the system getting in the way.
1: Wow, this sounds crazy. Yeah. This actually sounds like a metaphor for what the U.S. does. Yeah. Which is we're like, oh, yeah, that U.N. thing is cute,
0: but actually we know what's best, and so we don't need to follow yeah. the U.N.'s rules. It's totally that. It's that, and also it is about uh, gun control because um, there is a scene... Where I'm trying to remember the setup for this, but it's like it's like after they've they've decided that they uh you know are are going to temporarily obey this this new ordinance and they are going to play by the rules and then some disaster strikes. There's an attack. There's a terrorist attack somewhere, and they immediately are like okay no we gotta we gotta go into superhero mode and we gotta save these people. And we gotta fight this guy. Um, they kind of let it go and then the 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 the, uh, the subtext seems to be <laughs> like the 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 trump uh uh, paris attack argument of like yeah well everybody in that auditorium should have had a gun (laughs) so that they could stop the bad guy i mean that's what takeaway from that scene is is like well thank god that there were some like super powered like uh government tools like they are just like tanks like they are human tanks that's like the metaphor of yeah well
1: i mean they're weapons of mass destruction right like that's what they are like they level cities they literally level cities yeah
0: and so it, it just it felt very it felt very irresponsible to me on that level but it's also like having your cake and eating it too because the other thing that this movie is about is like we can't keep having these movies where the world is flattened every time like in other words, we can't just like like we. we How many times can you destroy yeah, New York? We, it's like they're saying like we hear you, like we know all of our movies end with mass destruction, um, and we feel bad about that. We do, but the right thing to do in the end is just to keep doing it. Like we have to because we're not going anywhere, and this makes us a lot of money. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 real weird. I.
1: I just don't like that Captain America's argument appears to be, trust me. Mm -hmm. Like, I have heard that from people in positions of power, and it almost always goes somewhere terrible. But he's, he's
0: blonde, and he's optimistic, and he's from the 40s, you know? Well, yeah, (laughs) those are the people who, like, created internment camps and, like... Jim
1: Crow, Yeah. like that's exactly the that's exactly the person I don't whose judgment I don't trust.
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's a little weird because the first the first uh, well anyway I I'm, I'm, I don't want to spoil too much of the movie if people haven't seen it or get too deep into it but the 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 thing I left the movie thinking and I was so mad at this movie when I left I was just like. I felt very like I wanted to just like find any way that I could I could to stop the Marvel Cinematic Universe from going forward because that's that is the like that's what it left me with the feeling of is like oh yeah you hate us that the hate that you hate the fact we keep doing this we're gonna keep doing it and of course nobody dies no real consequences occur out of all this because all those actors have to keep their contracts so I I was also thinking just about um the X Men and I X Men are the only comic book superhero characters that i was ever into in any capacity before all these movies started coming out like just from watching the fox tv show when i was a kid like i never read the x-men comic books or anything but i was familiar with the characters i got the fact that they were like outsiders and they were supposed to be like this metaphor for otherness and this metaphor for like you know people who felt like they didn't belong but were also like high achieving superheroes and you know if you're you know you feel uh nerdy or weird and and then that kind of narrative is comforting to you and so that's always a continuing thread in x-men right Is like they're gonna round up all the mutants or they're gonna find a way to control the mutants and keep them in check and that in the context of x-men is you know a metaphor for internment camps or any other kind of persecution of minorities or just different groups and that always felt like it felt very clear it felt very like useful and cathartic as a you know very obvious superhero metaphor and it's funny because the same conflict in Captain America Civil War is about like arms control (laughs) like it's like the then that I think tells you everything about the difference between how we approach superheroes now in films versus how we did when we kind of first started doing that because the first X-Men movie really started off the whole okay, we're going to take superhero movies seriously thing.
1: And it was like a big gay metaphor. Oh, Like totally. that was like
0: literally what it was. Yeah.
1: So we're going to build a mecha suit and go destroy Marvel Studios. Is that what we're going to do, Emily?
0: I, I, you know, I think so. I... <laughs> i don't know i just i get very this one especially felt very much like part of a tv show and i think that's because the directors have a tv background the russo brothers so more and more it is something that is impossible to drop in on and it has to be this big investment but there are things that that require a big investment like even something like game of thrones which is one of the most popular te- television shows it requires a big investment but you can also opt out and you don't feel like you're missing on like a huge chunk of movies that year like as a film goer as somebody who enjoys seeing all kinds of movies all brows all budgets the fact that it's like okay I guess I need to know everything about this like whether I'm actually interested or not but as a film goer I must know like who this bucky dude is in in Captain America Civil War you know I, I, I need to understand the drama back the backstory there and it's just it's just exhausting to me I just I, I really like movies I like to walk into a movie and have it be done you know and be like yeah. wow I saw a great movie and everything now is planting seeds for future movies and it's just yeah
1: But it's one of the reasons that I actually have functionally dropped out of seeing movies. It's not not just superhero movies, but movies full stop, because there's so much that I am expected to know walking in, and it's not a self-contained unit anymore. And like, this is not a, a form of culture that I am constantly engaged with. I am the person who comes in and then doesn't come in for a while and then comes back. You know, like I I pop in and out. And there are things that work really well for that like in the TV format, like I love Bob's Burgers. I don't watch it in order. I don't watch the current season. I I see whatever shows up on Netflix. And there are stories that go along and there are in-jokes and things but I can just drop in and out, right? you know? And I don't have to be a completist to enjoy an episode. And I feel like more and more I go to movies and like I'm supposed to know what happened in all the prequels. I'm supposed to know like some sort of like comic book backstory that's going to be referenced and there's like a web series and there are like all these things that i am expected to know about in order to appreciate the movie and i'm just like you know what i'm gonna watch bob's burgers
0: well i mean for me the you know what is like i'm just gonna go watch a regular ass movie like the one i I, right now can is going on the can film festival and i'm having oh yeah having massive fomo about it because like all film, film festivals but i think that one particularly, in a way, like, it's just really nice to just be in a place where the the ongoing franchise is not a Marvel or a DC or a Star Wars or anything like that. The ongoing franchise that everybody's engaged in, like, after they get out of the movie is movies. Like, we just like to see what people are doing with movies and... It doesn't, you know, we'll go in for an hour and a half and watch somebody's movie and come back out and be excited to see the next one, and they don't need to, they don't need to be a part of like a branding integration. And I, yeah, I kind of wish that I was just like watching a bunch of disconnected movies instead. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> it's just, it's not a sustainable model. It's not a sustainable model. Uh, before we go, I, I do want to talk about uh, the, uh, an article you posted on the site about something called hear active listening. That I feel like multiple people at The Verge have tried now at this point. Yeah, I think you tried it at South by Southwest. I did try it at South by Southwest. I don't think I talked about it on the podcast, did I? No, you didn't. It's very bizarre, but I would love to know about your experience with it because you used it at Coachella. I did. So, okay, this is like a classic
1: Lapato slow take, I guess it would be. (laughs) Just because, like, I went to Coachella and I got back and, like... Uh, had a minor family emergency and so wound up posting this about, like,
0: three weeks later than, <laughs> than I wanted to. Hey. I bet most people don't even know what this is yet, so it's, it's okay. still hot. <laughs> so, awesome. So
1: these are, like, these—basically, um, they're in-ear speakers, and they listen to what's going on around you and, like, pump it into your ears. So it's kind of like a hearing aid for young people, uh-huh. uh, but there's an app involved. And what I was excited about is—okay, this is a little dorky, and I apologize— I am not super thrilled about a lot of the ways that I hear music mixed because I hear bass too high and particularly mid bass mixed too high. And like most people prefer a slightly higher bass. I understand that. Like I understand that this mix is not just being made specifically to my tastes. I have uh, speakers at home that are that are to my tastes and that's fine. But the possibility of being able to have something that would allow me to treat treat those levels as an independent variable that I could then turn down and still hear what was going on around me uh-huh. at a concert seemed interesting. Because right now I just used earplugs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the possibility of doing a little bit of noise canceling and also just doing a little bit of more remixing the sound seemed like it was a good idea in theory. And I got very excited and went over there. And the thing that the thing the, the red flag for me was when they wanted to demonstrate special effects that I could put on people's voices when they talked to me, right? And that was the most exciting thing to them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh no, oh no. And as it happens, um, it was windy when I was over there, and a lot of what I was hearing was just the wind. And so I'm like, yo, um, these are very cool special effects. Do you have a wind filter? Yeah. And they're like, no. <laughs> well. And that was when I was like, ooh, okay, well you um, have thought about what you can do with the audio and not about what the person listening wants to do. Right. And so anyway I went from there to the, the DJ Mustard set I love that that's the
0: first one you went to. It's just great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I mean which was fun like I had fun there it was not like ground breaking or spectacular but people were having a really good time and it turns out it's fun to be around people who are having a good time but the 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 audio like I couldn't I didn't have enough room even to pull out my phone and start screwing with the levels because I was just packed in there so tight mm-hmm. so I ended up just taking them out and putting my earplugs back in <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then, you know, after that, I was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe a crowded tent is not the best way to test these out. So I, like, tried to eavesdrop on some kids to learn hip new slang.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was not
1: successful. It's, these are not great at eavesdropping, so I would not worry about that if you see somebody with what looks like your... Um, listening, hearing aids in their ears. Who you know is not actually wearing a hearing aid. Like you're not being eavesdropped. They cannot because... hear you
0: at all. It turns out <laughs> not.
1: It turns out, that, yeah, that's not what they're for. Um, and so I, you know, I visited a couple of other a couple of other shows, and it was like, by and large, I just kept encountering glitches or ways that the the technology didn't really fit in with what was going on. Yeah. And as I became sort of hypersensitive to the stuff that I was hearing because I was pay- paying so much attention to like what I was hearing that I started to like notice when I would take the the the, the speakers out of my ears the, just the random conversations yeah. people were having next to me and how funny they were yeah. and how much I enjoyed them and like they weren't like spectacular or groundbreaking
0: but they were still a little amusing and like well, oh that's part of the whole experience that's like what I mean you go to yes you go to a festival to see all these artists but like you kind of like, for better or for worse, you go to be around all these other people who want to see those same artists. Right.
1: And, like, <laughs> one of the things that we talked about at the festival is how much fun it is when you, like, make eye contact with somebody and you're both singing along and you're like, yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that the devices like these, this, these sort of active listening devices, kind of interfere with that in a really serious way. I, I felt that strongest at the the Savages show where I took the them out because they were, like, kind of fritzing on me, I think because they were maybe running low on battery. Mm-hmm. And that was when I discovered there was a middle-aged woman next to me who was really rocking out to husbands. Uh-huh, yeah. Just like really rocking out. Like she was just like, my husbands, my husbands, my husbands. <laughs> you know, and um, I loved her. And yeah. I like hadn't noticed her with those things in.
0: Yeah. the time that I used it was in, in a much more controlled Environment. It was one band and they were kind of like leading you through and giving you prompts to put in the different filters and stuff. And it was sort of like, I didn't follow their instructions at all. I just like, you know, messed around with it. But, you know, I still felt like the intention behind it, whether or not it worked right, was just like wrong. It it was just, it was one of these sort of tech innovations that I feel like fundamentally misunderstands why people like music or enjoy music. Um, You know, I, and what people get out of a live experience, you know, some people, they don't like live music, and that's okay. Like, there's a lot to not like about seeing bands live or going to a festival like Coachella. I mean, there's a lot to not like about Coachella. (laughs) Um, True and real. (laughs) Very, very real. You know, the parts that people do enjoy are not, again, I feel like this is sort of echoing what we were talking about with genetics. Like, it's not... It's not a code you can crack to make better. It's sort of a big messy soup, and like you find things that you like. One second you might might be noticing something that you like, and the next second you might be noticing something that's annoying. And it's just all part of the experience. And improving the sound and being able to hear somebody better, a, is the job of the sound guy, <laughs> and b is uh, is not necessarily the clear cut path to a better experience. Right, because it's not just about the sound. Yeah. Like- Well, and those those effects are so corny, too. The psychedelic effects and whatnot. I don't know. Yeah, I I just
1: I can think of no situation where I would use them. Like,
0: they're made for five-year-olds, you know? They're like Snapchat filters for sound. And it's like, you know, that works when you're going to share a funny picture and then, like, forget about it. But, like, to actually experience a band that you like with a shitty, like psychedelic wee-wah-wee-wah sound over it is, like, bad. But, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. Like, eavesdropping on people and overhearing conversations can be the best part of these sorts of situations. Because
1: and... these are people I would never encounter otherwise. These yeah. are, just, like, this is, I
0: am, like, literally, well, at Coachella, I was like, I'm in the zoo. Yeah. They let me behind the bars and I'm in the zoo yeah. now. And it's like, you're in uh yeah, and it's also weird when you think about it being the zoo, but it's also the zoo that, like, every single 20 something wishes they were at right then and you're like <laughs> i'm here it's uh it's maybe not as cool as you guys think it is but uh but then occasionally it's really fun yeah i i i, I, I don't know i feel like there was uh, something posted on on the website that we work for a while ago and i don't remember who wrote it so i won't say their name but it was about beats headphones the the massively popular beats by dre headphones which You know, a lot of tech people tend to hoop because they just have really insane bass, and it's just not... Oh, this sounds like a Vlad special. It might have been. Um, (laughs) You know, and that's... A lot of music sounds really, really good with bass that just, like, vibrates your head. That's just, like, it maybe isn't the way that it sounded when it was recorded, but... Through headphones, it can be pleasurable, and uh, you know, to each their own. But that those those sell well. I think one for conspicuous consumption reasons, but two because I think people genuinely do like the bass. But it was just like the thing was written kind of with an air of wait, do do headphones not have to be like a hundred percent, like have hundred percent fidelity to the music in order to uh, accurate or like to do their job well. I was like yeah it's art you know it does it's not a field recording it's uh it's kind of whatever floats your boat you know it's Well
1: yeah and this is why I have my speakers set up the way
0: I like them at home yeah. and like I'm not
1: I'm not going out in the world telling people that you know you should really turn down your mid bass like I
0: Yeah there are lots of ways to listen to music and there are many of them that are fine Yeah. <laughs> like you know uh, I yeah I te- I, I don't I don't judge too much with that. I I get more judgy with I get less judgy with sound than I do with um picture and and image. I get real I can get kind of anxious at theaters if they're not projecting something right. I don't know what's wrong with me, but that's that for some reason I feel like there's something that you need to be true to like watching some like it's the same thing as watching something on a phone as isn't as opposed to a big screen but watching a really bad projection or something where like the light is clearly out, like one of the lights is clearly out or something it's just like not I don't know I can't I can't resolve those two that inconsistency as far as my judginess but well that I think that does it for us this week though yeah I feel like next week we'll probably talk more about Game of Thrones I'm trying to think of like anything cool that's coming up but it's just summer movie season has officially started so I'll probably just be talking about a lot of um, big dumb movies cool for a while Uh, well I can't tell you what's going to happen next because I don't know <laughs> but hopefully something cool. Because it is in
1: the future. I just wanted to say one more time that if you are listening to this and you know anything or you are an expert in how mice decay in soda, <laughs> please hit me up. I'm Liz at the Verge. I want to hear your story.
0: Step-by-step process, please. And uh yeah, you can you can also tweet at Liz at Ms. Lapato. <laughs> Or you can tweet at me. I'll hear a story about some rats melting. Uh, I'm I'm at Emily Yoshida. Um, Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. It's Verge ESP on iTunes. And leave us a nice comment and tell us how much you love us. We will be back next week. And we will see what happens in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye.